You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello, welcome to The Investor Way with myself, John McEwen, my co-host Sam Ball. This week on The Investor Way, we have Greg's, Taylor Wimpy, Domino's, Legal and General, Ibstock, and our US company of the week is Activision Blizzard. Sam, where should we start? We'll start with Greg's. We'll start with Greg's. So Sam, what, what, what have Greg's been reporting this week? So Greg's, uh, I think we're about two weeks behind actually, so we should probably okay. point out most of <laughs> I think, I think yeah, all yeah, of the yeah, results yeah. are two weeks old. Disclaimer, in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, so Greg's have come out with their half year results for the 26 weeks ending 3 July 2021. And total sales came in at 546.2 million. For the comparatives, I'm going to use the first half of 2019 as everything was shut last year, so well, it's pointless. So sales came in at 546.2 million, and that compares to 546.3 million in 2019. Statutory pre-tax profit came in at 55.5 million, and that compares to 36.7 million in 2019 which is up 51.2%. Diluted earnings per share came in at 43.2p a share, up 51.5% from 2019. Dividends have been declared at 15p a share, up 26% from 11.9p a share in 2019. They've highlighted that the, the shops opening pipeline, so 48 new shops opened in the first half. There were 11 closures and... They have 2,115 shops as at 3 July 2021. They anticipate about 100 net new openings in 2021. They said delivery service is now available in 837 shops. Delivery sales representing 8.5% of the company managed shop sales in the first half of 2021. The new Greg's Rewards app launched in the half, which offers customers rewards across a full range of products. There's an interesting couple of paragraphs in the operational review where they've said, we continue to experience differential performance by location type across our broad and diversified estate. Shops in public transport hubs and large city centres continue to lag the overall group recovery rate, whilst customers staying closer to home and supporting our heartland shops in suburban and high street areas. The strongest locations continue to be shops typically accessed by car, including many operated by our franchise partners. The strongest performing parts of the estate are also the locations where we see significant potential for further expansion, making Greg's accessible to more customers on the go. In the first half of 2021, we opened 48 new shops, including 17 franchised units and closed 11 shops, giving a total of 2,115 shops, of which 343 are franchised, And they've said that they think they have the opportunity to expand the UK estate to at least 3,000 shops. So that's up from 2115. So they've said structural cost reduction resulting from our actions in 2020 to reduce overheads and logistic costs and the temporary benefit of relief from business rates helped to mitigate the impact of restricted trading in the first quarter. The better performance in the second quarter was further supported by stronger sales relatively low levels of food input inflation and strong margins as a result of good cost control. They've highlighted as well that the pre-ordering through Click and Collect presents an opportunity to improve availability and offer personalised choices instead. 
in terms of the valuation, if you assume the second half is exactly the same as the second half of 2019, that would put it at a PE of 29.9. However, given that this half was significantly better than 2019, I think it's probably reasonable to assume that the second half would be as well. My view is a PE of 29.9. It's not cheap, but it's a quality business. I think if they can go from 2,100 and whatever it is stores to 3,000, that PE would soon come down, providing they don't hit saturation sooner. Yeah, I what suppose, do you think? Well, yeah, I guess that's, that's true. And they're predominantly northern. Obviously, you do get them in the south as well, but they have most of their, their stores probably, would you say, north of Leeds? I'd have to I'd have to actually have a look um, to see you know where where their estate is on their website. I guess if they could successfully expand into the south, then there would be a lot of scope for that. How much they'd be coming up against some of those sort of premium competitors like Pret, that might be a little bit more difficult. But they've got a strong brand and you know good product, so I wouldn't I definitely wouldn't rule that out. And yeah, like you say, if they can do that, then that PE still that soon comes down. Yeah. Not cheap at the current valuation, you wouldn't say. No, it's definitely not cheap. They need to deliver to justify that. But those are really solid results. Yeah. yeah. And it looks like they've come out of the pandemic a better business than they went in. Absolutely. No, no I, I think, I, yeah, I'm continue to be impressed by Greg's. I, I, I did wonder uh, how well they would recover and, you know, things didn't look great last year but no they, they these results show that they well they've come back and beaten 2019 quite by quite some margin be interesting to see what the how the just eat delivery goes and whether it's uh just eat doing the deliveries so obviously we talked about that on the just eat just eat side that's not something that we're particularly keen on mm. however from greg's point of view if just mm. eat are happy to lose money delivering their food for them yes could be really good yeah yeah i mean i can't imagine it would be good for grace doing it if they if they had to cover the delivery but yeah in the model that uh, just eat are beginning to operate in a bit like delivery then that could be yeah very good for greg's right so should we move on to taylor wimpy then yeah so taylor wimpy had their half year results out recently and here are some of the highlights so in the six months to the 4th of july revenue came in at 2.2 billion pounds which is almost triple 2020's revenue and about 26.8 percent above 2019 they announced the completion of 7303 new homes with full year completions expected to come in at the top of guidance at between 13200 and 14000 operating profits came in at 424 million with a 19.3% operating margin and if we look back to 2019 the operating margin then had been 18% so that's um, that is an improvement full year operating profit is expected to come in at uh, 820 million now and there's also a 14.6% increase in the average selling price so the average selling price is now standing at 299,000 pounds and the group sold an average of 0.97 houses per outlet per week and that was across 228 outlets and that's up from 0.7 homes per outlet per week in 2020. In terms of the order book 
This currently stands at, well, as of the results, 10,344, which is worth 2.6 billion, which is actually down from 11,686, which is worth 2.9 billion in 2020, but it's still strong. The group has 97% forward sold for 2021 completions, a 91% increase at the same point last year. Cancellations were down 14%, which is an improvement from 2020, where they stood at 21%, and they're actually now back to pre-pandemic levels. And land acquisitions were also back to normal after they were quite aggressive in 2020. After the pandemic, they did an equity raise, but they're now back to normal. Uh, Net cash stood at 906.5 million, which is up from 719.4 million as of 31st of December, and free cash flow is £334 million. Sam, what what are your thoughts on these results from Taylor Wimpy? I think they were really, really good. I mean, it's it's not even just... The performance of last year was always going to be good, and we expected it to be good based on the other house builders we've looked at recently. To me, these actually possibly stand out as the best set of house builder results we've seen recently. And on top of that, they smashed 2019, which is the real comparative there. Like, yeah, I think I think we've covered a few house builders in the last month or so, and to me, these stand out as the best set of results. What about you? Yeah, no, I would tend to agree with you there, and I think the shares were up about four percent on the day. But no, they were impressive, and I think also you saw that that gamble that they took, where they did buy after the pandemic, or sort of, I suppose, in the midst of the pandemic, and they did an equity raise. We weren't too sure about that. I was very critical. You were that, yeah, you were very critical of it. But you know, that now looks very astute and that sort of gamble is, you know, paid off really. They've got a really strong order book, they've got good uh, operating margins, and they've got a very decent dividend. It's possibly one of the best ha- house builds at the moment. Valuation, it's only trading at a uh, forward price to earnings of 9.2, 10 year average is uh, about 10.5 and the dividend yield is nearly 7%. And I suppose it's got, you know, it's got a lot of tailwinds behind it the industry at the moment and this might might be the pick of the bunch. Yeah, for me it is I'm I'm struggling to criticize it to be honest. I can't see anything really in those results. It's concerning. No. no. So I mean I I well, I own a house builder. I have owned Taylor Wimpy before. At the moment, we definitely like the house builders. There are a few good ones out there, but I don't think you would go wrong with Taylor Wimpy. I'd, I'd agree with that. Probably for the first time <laughs> since we've covered it. <laughs> it's grown on you. And I suppose it's delivered, delivered on the results as well. Yeah, it has, yeah. Fine. Well, next on the list, we have Domino's. So another quality business, Sam. How's Domino's done in the last six months? In terms of the share price, we'll get to the results. Share price has done well as well. Shares are up 26% in the last six months. Well ahead of the FTSE. Oh, yeah. So they've uh, come out with their interim results for the 26 weeks ended, 27 June 2021. System sales were up 19.6% to 752.3 million. I should add as well, these comparatives are to 2020 because they were actually... I guess one of the lockdown winners, so I don't see any issue with using the 2020 figures. Underlying earnings before interest and tax was up 24.3%, 63.9 million. Statutory profit after tax was up 117.4% to 
41.3 million. Statutory basic earnings per share was up 102.3% to 8.9p a share. And the underlying basic earnings per share was up 23% to 10.7p a share. So they've actually sold some of the, the foreign subsidiaries, which is why the earnings per share, the statutory are so much higher than the underlying. So of that sales growth of 19.6%, if you exclude the benefit of the reduced rate of VAT, the underlying growth was only 5.5%. They said that the profit before tax growth of 27.7% was driven by the strength of the core business and lower COVID-19 related costs. Like I said before, the statutory profit after tax benefited from the successful disposal of all of one of the loss-making international operations. In the financial year 2021, they announced 136 million of surplus capital to be returned to shareholders via dividends and share buybacks. It's worth noting that 136 million is pretty decent because the market cap is only 1.88 billion. Total orders returned to a positive trend of 3.5% in the first half, driven by collection orders up 27.1%. They lacked the closure of the collection business for much of Q2 last year. Collection orders traded at 71% of 2019 levels, but during the half and are currently at 75, over 75% in the second half so far. They said impressed, they've hired their impressive service standards with best in class average delivery time of less than 25 minutes. Digital momentum continues with UK online sales up 25% and now representing 93% of UK system sales, which I know they've benefited from the pandemic because all the stores were closed. I think that's the highest I've ever seen that figure out of anyone that we've covered, 93%. They've highlighted the second half has started well with strong total order count growth as they benefited from their supercharged marketing campaign and extended involvement of the English football team in the Euros. A vertically integrated system has worked effectively to deliver great service to customers as they dealt with unprecedented peaks in demand. Yeah, there's a couple of points in the slides. EBITDA margins, which probably aren't the best margins that we like, but it's what they've given. EBITDA margins for the own stores are 25%, and that compares to 21% for the franchise stores. And they've said they want to, they've got a medium-term ambition of adding 200 new stores in the UK and Ireland. They've currently got 1,212 stores, so it would be a fairly sizable increase. In terms of the valuation, they're trading at a PE of just under 23. My, my view was these are, these are great results. The online orders I thought were staggering, as is, and the delivery time is obviously good. I know it's what they're known for, but it's still very good. I think the valuation is pretty reasonable, to be honest. What about you? Yeah, no, I think it, I think it probably is very reasonable. I don't know whether... A concern with it would be whether you sort of reach saturation point with Domino's Pizza and whether it's, I suppose it's not terribly expensive, but do you see it growing for much further in the UK? Well, that's, that's, the, that's quite interesting because, I mean, they've announced the plans to add the 200 new stores, but in the past few years, they've had quite a few issues with franchises where what they've been doing is they've, basically, they've been adding new stores, but they've been cannibalising areas. So although the sales are increasing for the area, the new stores are eating into the areas of the existing stores. So it'll be interesting to see how they actually manage that because those 200 new stores, it's not going to be in areas where there's just not a Domino's for miles and miles. It's probably yeah. going to be in areas where there's already a Domino's, but they can get faster delivery time. So it's maybe not going to be in the best interest of the franchisees nearby. But 
as a shareholder in the medium term, that 200 new stores, I mean, a P of just under 23, that's when they've only got 1,200 stores already. I th- yeah, I, th- I think that justifies it. And there's, I don't. So the, fra- the, franchi- the fr- franchisees can sort of be squeezed a bit, you think? Yeah, I don't think they're going to like it. But as a shareholder, I think, yeah, it's, it's you can see where the growth comes from. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. And what, what was the market cap, what do we say? Just 1.88 billion. Okay, fine. And they've got a dividend yield as well for about 2.2%. So. It's just, yeah, it's not bad at all. Plus, uh, they've got the buybacks as well. So that real yield's probably quite a bit higher. It's probably more like 4 or 5%. Yeah. So what do you think of it? Would you be buying shares in Domino's or is there a, a, another company in that sector that you prefer? I'd say in the sector, it probably is the one I like the most. I mean, the, ones, the only ones that, that jump out as ones that we've looked at in some detail. We've covered Domino's, Just Eat and Greg's a few times. For me, Domino's is the best one. I don't know if I'll be going out and buying shares, but I, I do like it. Okay. Anything more to you? add on that? Would you? Um, I, I suppose I like it. I do worry, wonder about the saturation in it. It is, I mean, pizza is their market, but, um, yeah. you know, how much further can you go with that? That's maybe where I struggle a little bit, but then I guess looking at the numbers, it, it, that, that, that they alone make the case for it, don't they? Mm. No, I'm not sure already. The shares are actually, they're only up 11.7% in the last five years, you know. Okay. I guess it's probably because there's been a lot, literally a lot baked in for them. Um, yeah. I think, I think yeah. it's a case of growing into the valuation. Yeah. As well, I, I suspect the valuation was a bit loftier back then because they still had the international businesses and it was possibly hoped they would turn them around. Whereas yeah. instead, they're now just focusing on UK and Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's pretty, that, I, I would guess that, that that's probably the factor with it. Yeah. Fine. Okay. So, on to legal in general. They had their half year results out and operating profit came in at $1.3 billion which was a 13% increase year on year with strong sales in retail annuities, real assets, and the insurance business. If we break it down, the institutional annuities business, that actually saw a 10% decline in operating profits to 525 million with fewer bulk annuities, so sort of final salary sales. The retail annuities business, however, reported operating profits of 158 million, which was a 17% increase and growth in market share also. The lifetime mortgage sales rose 14% to 414 million. And in the investment management part of the business, operating profits came in at 204 million, which was a 4% increase. And assets under management were up 6.9% to 1.3 trillion. Net inflows uh, for the half were 25.7 billion. And it, it was actually the first British investment manager to cross the one trillion pound assets under management mark. Legal and general capital, which is involved in developing investments like property, they reported operating profits of 250 million, which was more than double in the same period last year. The insurance arm saw operating profits up from 88 million to 134 million. And Total premiums rose 2% to 1.5 billion. 
and a key insurance metric, solvency to ratio, which me measures the insur um, insurance capitalization was 183% compared with 177% at the start of 2020. And at the moment, Legal and General's current price to book valuation is 1.65. And its 10-year average price to book has stood at 1.83. And it's currently got a prospective dividend yield of just over 7%. Sam, Legal and General, huge company. And I, I suppose uh, one of the stalwarts of the FTSE 100. What do you think of these results? Overall, it, it's pretty good. I know the annuities side, the operating profits decline, but everything else looks, it looks pretty good. It looks like a pretty good set of results. My concern with it, would, I mean, the dividend yield as well, that's obviously very good at 7%. My concern with it would be it's, it's got a lot going on and quite a few of those segments. So you've got the institutional annuities and the retail annuities. That would probably go in the too hard pile. And then you've mm. also got the insurance side of the business, which goes in the too hard pile as well. So mm. although they've got, you know, it's, it seems well diversified or fairly well diversified for what it is, it's diversified into things that I just don't understand. So yeah. I, would, I would probably say, you know, these are, these are good results and it looks like a decent business. The dividend yield's attractive. That does make me wonder whether it might get caught because that seems very high. Mm. For me, it's just, I, I just wouldn't be comfortable holding it, to be honest, just because I don't understand the annuities and the insurance side well enough. What about you? Yeah, I would, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't pretend that I would also have a good knowledge or good sort of understanding of that side of the business. So, yeah, I think it's probably, it's probably difficult to justify it. I mean, the numbers sound good, but I don't know how sustainable they are. And I just wouldn't know the market well enough really to be able to comment. But on the surface of it, it looks reasonable. But I guess it's one of those things where you might want more, you know, if you didn't understand it, maybe a more detailed analyst report to try, you know, try and understand that sector a little bit better and whether there is sort of value there. But yeah, so I, I probably wouldn't go much further than that. And I guess it's, it did have that that achievement of being the first UK manager to have over a trillion pounds worth of assets under management. And it seems to have gone a fair bit further, actually, when these results came out at 1.3 trillion. But no, I don't think I'd have um, much more, much more to add than that. No, I just wouldn't. It doesn't pass the sleep test, does it, for me? I wouldn't be able to sleep <laughs> well at night with it. Fine, fine. Okay, so on to a business that, it well, is much easier to understand, bricks. Yeah, yeah. So Ibstock, which is the UK's largest brickmaker, have come out with their results for the period ended 30 June 2021. So revenue was up 54% year over year to 202 million. However, it was down 1% over two years from 2019. Profit before tax was 39 million, and that's compared to a 52 million pound loss last year. However, it's down slightly from 41 million in 2019. Earnings per share came in at 2.7p a share, and that compares to a 12.1p loss last year. However, it also compares to an 8.1p profit in 2019. And the dividend per share is coming at 2.5p. There was no dividend last year. However, it was 3.2p in 2019. They've 
highlighted the strong operational performance with group revenue approaching 2019 levels and divisional margins back to 2019 levels on a life-for-life -life basis, benefiting from 2020 restructuring actions and good overall cost management. So market fundamentals remain sound, underpinned by the robust UK housing demand and good mortgage availability. Highlighted strong demand from RMI markets with UK consumers continuing to prioritise spending on the home. Highlighted the impact of tighter supply chain conditions have been well managed with inflation mainly within the concrete division being passed on to customers. So on a life-flight basis, revenues were around 94% of 2019 levels. So the clay division revenues came in at 138 million, and that represents 92% of 2019 levels, with sales volumes ahead of expectations. And concrete division revenues were 64 million, which was 22% above 2019 levels, or in line on a life-flight basis. Expected cost savings of £10 million were captured in full during the period, which is half the annualised target of £20 million from the restructuring that happened last year, with good fixed cost discipline across the business. They said strong free cash flow and a robust balance sheet with net debt to adjusted EBITDA of 0.6. So that's down from 1.5 at the 2020 year end and 1.6 at the first half 2020 period end. For the current trading outlook, they said demand in the initial weeks of the second half has remained robust, although supply chain challenges, principally relating to freight availability and the impact of COVID constraints on factory labour, have become more evident. They said the commissioning of capital enhancements underway to bring the clay network, and they've also announced the commissioning of capital enhancements underway, are underway to bring the clay network to around 95% of 2019 volume levels from the middle of 2022. In terms of the valuation, if you were to take the 2019 results, the 2019 earnings, it would give them a normalised PE ratio of 14.4. I actually own Hibstock. I thought these were a pretty decent set of results. One thing I, I don't like is they make a lot of adjustments, which I ignored for this, but I'm not keen on adjusted everything so I, I had a look when these results originally came out and I, th I thought they were decent. I'm going to continue to hold until the full year results come out, but it's probably one of my investments that I'd say is actually under review. And that's mainly for the reason that although I like it and it's a decent business, I do wonder where the growth is going to come from and whether I could just do better elsewhere. What are your thoughts on the business and these results? Well, I, th I think they were fairly decent results and obviously they've, improved a lot since last well uh, this time last year i guess it's reassuring that they've been able to pass the costs on to well by ra raising their prices essentially and the fact that you've got a very strong house building market at the moment there's an undersupply of bricks in the uk so ibstock inevitably does well from those i don't know about much well, yeah, I suppose we've got the undersupply. I don't know about how, how much growth is available and, the you know, raising the margins any further, but it's not it's not a pricey stock. It's trading under the, uh, 13 times forward earnings. I guess for me, the question might be whether you could do better in with, with a house builder itself, perhaps like a Taylor Wimpy. So I don't know whether I'd particularly be choosing Ibstock as, um, as a pick, but... It doesn't look like it. Look, it looks like overall a sound business, sort of chugging along. Yeah, I would. I would counter the house builder point though by saying that 
obviously in a boom period you would expect that but when house price if house prices were to decline the house builders are still going to be paying Ibstock the same price for the bricks i know they're mm. going to be building less but I, th I think that's why the house builders are cheaper than Ibstock because you've probably got a little bit more protection compared to a traditional house builder with Ibstock. yeah so it's essentially less cyclical I think so. I mean it would still be cyclical because they are going to reduce like the quantity of houses built. I just but I think it would be less cyclical than the house builders themselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Fair but, enough. Yeah, it's under review. What was your main reason for putting it under review in your portfolio compared with when you initially put the invest made the investment? Well, it's, it is a good business. My concerns are that I'm not sure where the growth's going to come from. So I do just think. Well, should I should it be in a business where I, I can see where the growth is going to come from, and as well, it's, it's it's more just the opportunity cost. Could I be invested in something better? Um, and fine. I, I think the answer might be yes, but okay. still undecided. Okay. No, fine. Well, our US company for the week could that be better company? Activision Blizzard, the US listed video games company and creator of Call of Duty, had their second quarter results out. In second quarter, uh, revenues were up 18.8% at 2.3 billion with double digit growth across all regions. Quarterly earnings, underlying earnings per share rose 48.1% to $1.20. And management has upgraded full year guidance for earnings per share to $3.54 from $3.42 at the end of the quarter. Monthly active users in the Activision division was 127 million in the second quarter, up from 125 million in the same quarter quarter last year however hours played in call of duty games was higher in the quarter than in the whole of 2019 in the blizzard division monthly average users were actually down 18.8 percent to 26 million although world of warcraft bookings increased with the launch of the burning crusade classic the king mobile game division saw revenue rise 15 percent however monthly active users was down 5.9 percent to 255 million Advertising revenue more than doubled for the popular Candy Crush. And at the end of the quarter, free cash flow came in at $374 million, down from $755 million a year earlier. Net cash at the end of the quarter stood at $5.6 billion, which was up from $5 billion at the start of the year. In terms of valuation, price to earnings is 19.3 compared with a 10-year average of 19.5. So almost in line with that. And prospective dividend yield is 0.6%. Sam, do you like Active, uh, Activision Blizzard? And what do you think of the current valuation? I'm actually conflicted about it because, I mean, the, the, they've got such quality brands. And you look at Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, Candy Crush. Diablo, Overwatch, there's just so many well-known games. They're up against very, very tough comps. I mean, that's that that PE for a quality for a business of that quality, 19, I think, and given it's in the US as well. So you get an extra 10 added to your PE just for that. I think 19.3 is pretty on the surface, pretty reasonable. But the issue is the reason is I think people think it's peaked. And when you look at the monthly active users, active users in the Kingdom of Blizzard business going down, it's difficult. What do you think in comparison with EA, for example? Well, I, I imagine EA 
I've not looked at EA's results, but I'd imagine it's going to be pretty similar because they're just going to be up against... I mean, you're up against comps where everyone was being paid to sit at home and do nothing. So they're obviously going to have been gaming more in the last year. I think with EA, I know that they have to they have to pay for a lot of their best games, so like FIFA and stuff. They don't own it outright, whereas I think Activision Blizzard, their top performing games like Call of Duty, it's completely theirs. I... I don't know. In the last year, they've not they've not really they're pretty flat in the last year. Activision Activision Blizzard. I guess you'd say, well, that's because you know people think the performance is peaked. But over the long term, I think you're getting more and more. Uh, I, I, it's a business I like over the long term. I think they're continuing to get more money out of the games. Games that used to have a shelf life of one or two years. I mean, like it's a different company. It's Take Two. But if you look at like the last Grand Theft Auto game, it's like seven years old now. People still play it. And there's so many games like that now that I just think there's a lot of a lot of tailwinds for the business. So I think, although there are concerns in the short term, I think getting it at a PE of 19.2 is probably 19, a PE of 19 is probably pretty fair. What about you? Yeah, and I guess one of the things with these businesses is there's a lot of in-game purchases and they have huge margins with that. Yeah. Well, it's just free money, isn't it? <laughs> you just add like a new skin or something it probably takes them five minutes to develop some of it and yeah just buy it and i don't know in terms of the video gaming industry how that's growing as a whole so i guess both obviously ea and activision blizzard are going to be tied to that too yeah i mean i know that the consoles are switched so that people don't really buy discs anymore or you buy a disc and then you like download the game but if mm. everything's been like, downloaded, I know that that definitely helps the margins. So they're a lot better margins now than they were, say, 10 years ago. And yeah. then as well, like you say, like in-game purchases has just taken off. I think 10 years ago, I don't think that was really a thing. I don't really play any games myself. The last game, the last console I had was an Xbox 360. I stopped when it moved <laughs> to the one. And that on I don't think I ever ever made an in-game purchase i don't think i ever had any desire to either um no i know no. at that point like fifa ultimate team was starting to come through but if i compare that to like my brother's generation he's five years younger all of his friends will spend so much money on fifa ultimate team <laughs> just getting, the, getting, the, getting the cards and, or whatever it is and whereas i like, compared that to me like most of my friends would have just bought the fifa game and that was it that's all they'd spend until they bought the next fifa game next year so yeah i think it is a much more attractive industry now yeah yeah no fair enough okay so if you were to pick one of these companies or the uh, you sort of pick of the week i suppose stock of the week what would you be going for i think i'd go with dominoes okay i think i can guess your pick we'll see if i'm right i reckon you're, yeah. gonna, say, you're gonna say taylor wimpy I yeah, and I have owned it, but I do have another house builder at the moment. And Domino, I did, I did like Domino's and Greg's though. Um, I liked Activision Blizzard and Ipstock actually. There's some good yeah. companies this week. Yeah, yeah. I just thought Fine. Domino's probably had, for me. Domino's, actually, I'd say Taylor Wimpy had the best results actually of, of mm. the week, but I just prefer Domino's. But in terms okay. of the results, I think Taylor Wimpy probably had the best there. Okay. Fine. Well, on that note, I think we'll end. And thank you very much again for listening. We'll see you again next time. See you next week. Thank you for listening to The Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. 
This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.